and welcome to another episode of the Meet the Translator podcast. My name's Dot and today I'm joined by freelance translator Abby Prowse for a chat about literary translation. I'm going to ask Abby how she became a literary translator and the kind of work she does. We'll find out what the process of translating a book looks like and how to find clients. And of course, Abby will share some valuable tips for anyone thinking of specialising in this field. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast today. It's really lovely to have you here. How are you it's doing? Nice to be here. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. Honestly, it's it's yeah, it's really exciting. It's my first podcast, <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> it'll be really fun. I'm so excited for this <laughs> for this for this episode. So, should we start off? Can you share a bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, and like how you got to where you are now as a literary translator? So my name is Abby. <laughs> I'm originally from Hertfordshire, sort of North London-y kind of way, but I currently live, hopefully permanently live now, in northern Italy in an area called Friuli Venezia Giulia, which is right on the Slovenian border, and I absolutely love it. <laughs> so it makes sense that I'm an Italian to English translator. <laughs> Among multiple other things, I would broadly say that what I do is now become sort of communications based but bilingual so I do a lot of my clients I do their marketing content but I do it in both English and Italian so there's a lot Mm -hmm. of translation involved with it anyway Um, but one of my first ever specializations and probably still my main specialization now I would say is literary translation which was always the goal (laughs) and was always what sort of pushed me into seeking out a career in this sort of field Anyway, I did my degree in Scotland, in Edinburgh, and that was a degree in Italian and English Lit, I, which mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you know, but in Scotland, they give you a master's straight away. <laughs> so oh, wow. I think we have a master's, but it was part of my whole four-year degree that I did anyway. I actually never did a sort of, and this is, I feel like this is quite controversial because I think most people do, I've never done a sort of specialized master's in translation or a specialized translation degree but a large portion of my actual degree involved translation modules so mm-hmm. I have studied it but I haven't done a full um, degree which I think people always find interesting because I know it's very common after your first degree to then go and specialize in a translation degree and yeah that happened I graduated four years ago and started freelancing immediately and never look back. <laughs> I just really love it. I mean, what's what's not to like other than the uncertainty? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a good point. <laughs> but it's nice that you've got the freedom to kind of live where you want to live mm. and do, like you said, like you specialise in literary translation, but then you're also doing like these other things as well. And I guess like, <laughs> it's nice that you can have, you can get the variety. Mm. No, um, it's, been, it's been really nice. And that was a huge part of why... I initially went into freelancing was because I didn't know where I wanted to be I sort of roughly knew that I didn't really want to be in the UK and I've always loved Italy but before I moved to Italy I actually spent a year living in Lisbon which is amazing um, mm-hmm. and it's a really good city for freelancers and digital nomads it's one of known as being one of the best in Europe and so the, my very first year working as a freelancer was spent there which I think was really good for me because it gave me a really good insight into how freelancing can work and the freedom that it can give you and obviously since then now my my business is officially sort of legally based in Italy but it was it's nice to have 
the freedom that I can pick it up and move it if I ever want to again in the future it's been really really nice Mm -hmm. yeah so should we get into sort of literary translation what is literary translation like what kind of comes under the I guess it's sort of an umbrella of (laughs) I guess it is so I think obviously the most important thing that you would do as a literary translator is translate books to put it really simply (laughs) that's like how Mm -hmm. it works but what I don't think I appreciated coming into this is how varied that can be not just in terms of the book content but in terms of who you work with how you work with them who your point of contact is um but it's also for me it's not just been books so I have worked in the past with a number of um Italian editorial agencies and publishing houses translating pitches for potential books translating like blurbs for books that they want to attempt to sell the translation rights to I've also translated a few pitches for tv scripts and things like that through these publishing houses so it really varies but obviously the main the main thing that you do would be to translate books (laughs) Mm -hmm. I guess it's kind of in in the name literature (laughs) exactly but yeah I I had a look on your um website and saw that you've published 12 translated novels which that's awesome like (laughs) what um what kind of like novels are they like what what books have you translated so I have been really lucky that I've worked a lot with like repeat authors so a large chunk of those books are with the same author that I've worked with for four years and she's self-published a lot of the authors that I work with are self-published which is a very different thing obviously to working with a publishing house and she writes mainly novels in the sort of rom-com genre so like light-hearted really easy read like a beach read but they're really like enjoyable and you get really sort of involved with the characters as well especially because a lot of the stuff that I've translated I'm working at the moment or have been working for a very like for years now on two different series with her and books in this genre often have series like with multiple books involved in them so it's the sort of thing that I really lucked out because obviously for me it's been four years in the making now long partnership that Mm. has just been going well for both of us so yeah she works primarily with sort of rom-com romantic novel type things and I've also translated a couple of others roughly in the same sort of genre as well as I don't know how you'd call it but sort of historical literary fiction I've done one of those as well which was released as an ebook and that was really interesting because for me it was such a change from from the genre that I'm used to translating in because I think when you do it for so long you really get into a rhythm with it and like I've got to a point now where doing one whole book particularly for this author that I work a lot with doesn't take me very long at all because I'm so used to her writing style and the characters Mm -hmm. are the same ones that I've known for want of a better word for three or four years now Whereas this um, historical fiction novel was a big challenge in a really good way, um, also adapting to a very different writing style to what I'm used to. So yeah, mm-hmm. um, rom-com would be the overarching genre, but a bit of a bit of lots of different things as well, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Would you say that rom-com was your favourite genre to translate? Then, I mean, I guess because I haven't, re- apart from this one historical fiction novel, I haven't really tried any others and I 
I I love a challenge, so I would love to try some different <laughs> ones. But I re- there's lots about rom coms that I really like because there's also a lot of humor in them mm. which is really hard to translate as I'm sure you know because <laughs> yeah. it does not always translate very well and another thing that I always have to think about is so this author that I work with she is Italian but lives in Ireland so I translate all her work from Italian into English but because she lives in Ireland I really have to think about um, and it's set in Ireland sorry all of the series are based in Ireland oh, okay I often have to think about things that wouldn't necessarily come naturally to me, like turns of phrase when the characters are speaking or silly things like whether the road signs are in kilometres or miles or mm. these sort of things. Luckily, one of my best friends is Irish, so she'll, she'll often get a random text from me in the middle of a working week being like, in Irish, do you say this? She's like, well, yeah. <laughs> um, So I use her quite often as my like Irish knowledge sounding board. So yeah, that's, that's interesting as well because it's definitely one of those things that I don't think you would think about necessarily unless you were a translator and you understood how important all these nuances are. Yeah, it's interesting. Mm. Because, like, for me as a subtitler, rom-com is also my favourite, like, genre of, (laughs) like, movies and stuff to subtitle. Um, So it's kind of interesting hearing it from your perspective as, like, a literary translator when we're doing, like, completely different things, but also it's kind of similar in a way. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So what would be like your absolute dream project that you would want to work on right now? Like the the dream to come in your email inbox? As a literary translator particularly. Yeah. Oh gosh, I don't know. I just love reading in general. I read so much that I just don't know how to answer that. Anything. (laughs) Let's say for the moment, anything that's not rom-com purely because I would love to challenge myself and to push my own sort of abilities in that sense as well I'm a huge fan Mm -hmm. of like contemporary literary fiction I love a dystopia actually maybe that's my answer love (laughs) dystopia that would be hard to translate I think Mm -hmm. because the same thing with dystopia goes with sort of fantasy fiction as well is that the writers have created this entire world and sometimes even like a language if you think of the likes of like Lord of the Rings Game of Thrones how first you translate that so it would be it would be a challenge but I think it would be a challenge that I'd really love to to undertake I think that would be really fun to try and do a dystopia yeah that would that does sound like a yeah. interesting challenge mm. what skills would you say that you need in order to be a literary translator I think well I think this goes for any translator in a sort of more creative and less sort of technical field I think you have to be a good writer I think that's one one thing that's quite important and I think most translators are just by default because you know you spend all of your day writing and reading things like you you know you get the hang of it don't you I think that's Mm -hmm. underrated I think you have to be good you have to be a good writer and I think the thing to remember with translating a book is that it should never read like it's been translated the, author, the mm-hmm. reader should get to the end of it and be like, oh, wow, that was originally in whatever, in Italian or Spanish. or And I think that's something that comes with practice and comes also with, again, being a good writer, but also with reading a lot. I think if you read a lot, you learn to appreciate the way that writing can draw you in. Because if it's not drawing you in, I think there's something 
wrong fundamentally with it. And I think that, although the translation obviously has to be good, I think a lot of that stems from the quality of the writing, personally. So yeah, I would say be a good writer. Another thing that I sometimes find difficult, because I love writing in general, I write a lot of like fiction, and I write for a lot of magazines and things like this. So I, I find it quite hard to separate sometimes my voice from the author's voice especially if it's with um, a series that I've been working on for a long time and I feel like I know the characters you sort of get in a place where you feel like you have some sort of like ownership over them when you obviously don't you know your job is to essentially be invisible and I find it quite difficult occasionally to yeah to to detach my own voice and the style the way that I would write a particular phrase as opposed to the way it should be translated and I think there's sometimes a fine line because I think it's impossible for a translator not to put their own spin on things when we're talking about literary translation, because so much of literature is open to interpretation. And that's the beauty of it. And that's the whole point. And that's, you know, why so many people turn to books for escapism and for adventure and all this kind of stuff. But I think you have to find that right balance between translating invisibly and making it something that reads really well in the target language. Mm-hmm. I don't know how articulate that answer was. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that like that makes complete sense. Like, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. So, you said that you work with um, self-published authors. Mm-hmm. Do you get to work quite closely with the author? Then, like, are you constantly sending an email, being like, I don't know, what what did you mean with this? Or like checking like how they want a certain thing to come across in English or how how does that kind of work? Yeah, I think that's one reason why I really like working with self-published authors and all all of the novels that have been published that I've translated so far have been self-published. I've written a few with a publishing house as well that haven't yet been published, but all of the ones <laughs> that so far have come out Um, have been self-published and I really enjoy it because you work so closely with the author in a way that you don't if you're well you generally don't if you work with a publishing house I have a couple of friends here that do the opposite language pairing to me so that we'll write from Italian no English into Italian sorry Um, (laughs) and they work with publishing houses and they never hear from the author like they just about know what the author's name is but they've never spoken to them they don't have their email address they have no point of contact and I think obviously Mm -hmm. it can work and does because some amazing translations come out of translators that work with publishing houses and again not every publishing house will work in that same way but I really love the relationship that you can forge with the author because I think Mm -hmm. it's so it's so helpful to getting a really accurate translation if you really understand where they were coming from with a certain thing or what they were trying to do with a certain play on words, because as we sort of mentioned earlier, humour and puns and things like this cannot really always or barely ever be translated literally. And so with an example like that, where someone's used, where the author's used a play on words to get a point across, mm-hmm. I always come at it from the point they were trying to get across as opposed to how can I translate this as closely to the original because I think you have to take context into account as well and if your aim is for the reader to feel a certain way after they've read that paragraph or sentence or whatever then that helps with translating something that's difficult like a pun but also Mm -hmm. in terms of 
getting to know the characters and understanding maybe cultural nuance and things like this. There have been a couple of examples. Um, so when a book has been set in an English-speaking country, and obviously the author will be from Italy normally for me, and they've written about, like, even if it's just in passing, written about maybe somebody going to university and doing their exams or whatever. And it's funny because the way that they write it will often reflect the Italian university system. And there are maybe elements of that that don't exist in the university system that the book is set in. So mm-hmm. a lot of my work also is sort of translating those contextual things as well, so that a reader in English, wherever the book is set, will be able to understand the cultural aspect of it as well. Or maybe if there's something that's been written in a certain way in a book that maybe wouldn't be well received to an English-speaking audience, I will often be able to email and flag that up as well because that's Mm -hmm. another thing you really have to consider is how, how things are going to be taken in or out of context from the various audiences. I don't think I explained that very well either, but hopefully hopefully that makes some sense. I think you have to really consider the sort of cultural aspects of it as well. And that's where it's really helpful to have the author to hand, to be able to be like, what did you mean by this? Here's how it works in an English-speaking country. Are you okay with this? And there's a lot of back and forth in terms of like, yes, it's fine if we change this element, or like, no, I'd rather that it, you phrased it like this. And yeah, so it's it's just really good because really sort of pushes you to have that communication with the author Mm -hmm. which I think is so important Mm. do you ever find that the author is pushing you to translate it in one way that just doesn't work in English or is it usually quite like a nice like (laughs) um I think I've been quite lucky I've had a few a few instances where people where the author has maybe been like I would prefer if it was said like if it was phrased like this for example but I think as I've gained more experience and I've been doing this a lot longer and I think I now have the confidence to really stand by my translation if I really believe that it works so I'll quite Mm -hmm. often be like I appreciate and I'm happy to find a compromise if you're really not happy with this but here are the reasons why I think this is a much better translation because you know when you write a book it's a bit like your baby isn't it like you feel it feels a bit like you're giving your baby to someone and obviously you don't want to sort of relinquish the control of that necessarily so I always try to make sure that I'm mindful of the way that they want something to come across or if they're particularly like married to an idea then I do try and find a way to sort of sidestep it but generally now I will at least like fight my corner a little bit unless they're really adamant and then you have to sort of return to the whole customers always write thing after a while I mean I think I think you do have some room to push back a bit but otherwise yeah um at the end of the day it's it's their book and you can't tell them Mm -hmm. how to write it so if they're really married to an idea I think you do just have to be like okay (laughs) yeah Yeah, I mean also if they're paying you to do it at the end of the day then you kind of have to do what (laughs) what they want I guess if if it's not the way you do it like you do have to just give them I think after a certain point do you usually get um like translator credit on the book like do you have your your name on there as well yeah I'm lucky with that actually I've always I've always had translator credit which I'm really grateful for because I know that that's often an issue in the industry Mm -hmm. and I think again it's more of an issue with translators that work with publishing houses although I believe that that is now improving 
Um, I believe mm-hmm. that people are now willing to give translators the credit where it's due. Also because translated fiction is becoming such a widespread thing. And I think some, something that people are learning to appreciate more than maybe they once did. And people don't shy away from it as much as they used to. Kind of in the same way that people don't shy away from films with subtitles as much as they used to. Mm-hmm. So I believe it's getting better in the industry in general. But yeah, I'm lucky that I've always had credit. And for example, if you go into Goodreads or Amazon and you type in my name, I actually come up, the books that I've translated come up with my name as the translator, which is very cool. (laughs) And every time I do, I'm like, oh my gosh. (laughs) That's like, that's so good as well, because then like, maybe like other authors who like write similar content Mm. might might like be reading your translation and be like oh I want to work with her too or like (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah exactly so that I mean that's that's amazing like I said I'm very grateful because I know it's not a given Mm. Mm. yeah that's so nice so how long does it like I know this is maybe I'm asking how long it's piece of string but like (laughs) how long how long does it take to translate a book Um, roughly (laughs) I think it, it is kind of how long is a piece of string. Um, I think it depends on so many different things. Like I think I mentioned earlier, I find that with the main author that I work with now, I can translate fairly quickly just because, like I said, I really know the characters now. I know her writing style. I'm much. It's much quicker for me now to sidestep any sort of, not issues, but any maybe like hiccups where I don't necessarily know how to translate something immediately I am much better now second guessing what she's trying to go for just because it has been mm-hmm. it's been four years now that we've been working together so with her particularly let's say um so the way that I do it sorry that jumped all over the place the way that I do it is I um she'll send me an email and be like hi Abby like I've got this new project it's books no, book number X in this series and I'm hoping the publishing date will be X. And then what I do is I split it into three chunks that I call milestones, mm-hmm. which I send three separate invoices for. But I'll give, so for each milestone, which is a third of the book, and um, her books particularly are usually, oh God, it depends because they're page number wise somewhere between four and 500 pages so they're quite long but like mm-hmm. I said they're like beach reads so they move quite quickly and the plot is quite fast paced and so whatever 500 divided by three is there's a reason I'm a translator not a mathematician I'll split it into three let's say they have 60 chapters and I'll do 20 chapters mm-hmm. each milestone yeah. um, which is generally roughly about what it is each milestone will probably take me somewhere between three and four weeks so let's say in mm-hmm. two month period, including all the read throughs, the proofreading, which I do as well, which I think is difficult because you stop seeing your own mistakes after a while, don't you? Um, but I always mm-hmm. leave a week or so after I've finished it to let it sit and then do a proper big reread. Oh, and I also use it's a good tip if any, just if you're proofreading in general, the I can't remember what the actual function is called, but on Microsoft Word, the text to speech read aloud. Oh, thing, yeah. So mm. useful because it picks up maybe like if you've written a word that's not the right word, but your eyes just don't see it because it's very similar to the word you meant. And it, if it reads it out loud, it makes you stop and be like, wait, what? That makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a really good tip for anyone that wants to proofread anything. So let's say then I give myself a week, hang on, 
I'm really jumping all over the place. So I do one milestone <laughs> and then I proofread that milestone and I send it to her. That takes three to mm-hmm. four weeks. Same again for the second okay. one. And then when I get to the third one, I proofread the third milestone. Then I put the book aside, leave it for a week. And then I do a full proofread and read through of the whole book. And if I have any mm-hmm. comments about anything, even in terms of like anything stylistic or contextual or whatever, then I leave it in a comment on the Word document and then send the whole thing back to her. And if she has any final questions or edits, we just sort of work through them as and when they come in because they're never anything normally particularly massive. This is with this specific mm-hmm. author that I've worked with a lot. Otherwise, three months, four months. If it's a mm-hmm. new author, if it's a longer book, if it's content that I'm not quite so familiar with, I would say three to four months. But the, the system mm-hmm. is more or less the same. Like I split it into milestones and give opportunity for feedback after each one so that then instead of just handing over a massive book at the end of it and being like questions <laughs> yeah. they have a chance to sort of raise any concerns or ask me anything stylistic while the process is going on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that makes sense so would you block out like that whole three month period just for working on that book or would you also be working on other translations alongside it no so I do other client work alongside it but I tend to do um that's a good question actually (laughs) but I tend to do let's say either the morning or the afternoon on the book and then whichever Mm -hmm. one I've not done on the book on my other client work but then that like towards the very end just before I'm handing in the whole book I'll spend a couple of days working solely on the book and going through all the edits and everything Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that makes sense as well because otherwise I don't know if you find this but like I find like when I've got a big project I need to be working on other things in between because otherwise it just gets like yeah too much doing the same thing Mm -hmm. that's the thing every day for too long (laughs) yeah and then you stop you get frustrated easier and you stop like seeing the silly mistakes that you're making and yeah I completely agree yeah you kind of need to like come in and out of it a bit I guess (laughs) absolutely you need a bit of perspective with it don't you especially if it's something as big as a whole book I think you yeah. give yourself time to like sit with each bit <laughs> it's interesting to hear like how it how the whole process goes because as a subtitle like I can't help but compare it to like translating subtitles for like a movie or like you know a tv series or something but like the the time that it takes is so completely different yeah. how long to subtitle it, it for a movie to subtitle a movie like a week oh. and do it in a week it's oh, wow. I can do like I don't know 20 to 30 minutes in a day and then I usually have like a day for watching it all watching yeah, it all through so like the whole title so it's just a different world to me <laughs> that's mad that you can yeah. do it so quickly but I guess it's experience again isn't it but also you watch a movie a lot quicker than you'd read a book and like I think there are a lot that's true there are a lot less words in it than there are in a book <laughs> as well I guess so but I think yeah I don't know it's it's interesting though because like I said I don't I don't do audiovisual I don't subtitle so it's really interesting for me to hear it from your perspective as well <laughs> yeah sorry I know it's not really not really that relevant but like in my head I'm just like comparing <laughs> no, you can it. it can you no so once you've finished the you finish your translation and you've done all the proofing and everything and it gets published do you get sent a copy of the book or anything like that yeah I do you do I actually get sent um a couple of copies normally and then part of sort of part of my job but I guess I do this because 
of the sort of marketing side of my background as well I get given a couple of copies of the books and then I do a sort of I help to promote it a little bit so I'll do like a sort of giveaway or I'll take some like nice pictures of it in like a nice background or whatever so I get sent a copy for me and then the idea is that I with a couple of authors I've actually sent copies to sort of book bloggers for reviews and things like this so I often like it's not necessarily part of my job description but it's something that I have experience in otherwise Mm -hmm. so I sort of help with that side of things as well but I don't I don't think that's normal (laughs) do you do like do you like sign it as well so there's like signed copies by the translator (laughs) you should you should do that (laughs) no I I, I don't I haven't actually (laughs) I think that would be cool, especially if you got like signed by the Italian author and then also signed by the translator. Like, maybe that would be so nice. Email to one of the authors next time we've got um, a publication date and suggest it. (laughs) Yeah, why not? (laughs) Cool idea. Yeah, so we kind of talked about like the whole process of doing the work. How do you actually find the work in the first place? Like, where do you where do you get literary translation clients? Um, word of mouth, which is a very annoying answer. <laughs> but the first author I ever worked with found me very randomly on Upwork, which I used for about oh, okay. <laughs> when I very first started out. And I was, I had the same question in my head. I was like, how on earth do you find clients? Like, how does this work? Because obviously there's no, there's not really any sort of tutorials to how to be a freelancer and where to find work so as soon as you've decided that's what you're going to do you just have to sort of sit there and be like cool now what do I do (laughs) Um, so I signed up to Upwork which I haven't really used since but um yeah they randomly found me on Upwork and then from then sort of word of mouth and seeing various posts I think on social media and especially within the rom-com genre a lot of authors sort of know each other whether or not in person or online or whatever know of each other and so if mm-hmm. one of them is looking for a translator then they'll see perhaps that I've translated something with this one and then they'll send me an email so word of mouth is is the general idea but the very first one that I got was was through Upwork. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's um it's interesting that you say that because my first ever major client was through Upwork as well and it's not something that I ever use now but I just randomly I didn't know what to do either so I was like I'll just sign up to Upwork and that was my first major client and I worked with them for like my whole first year of freelancing it's it's really random platform for when you're starting out I think because it makes it all seem much less scary and it also shows you that there is a a need for what you're Mm -hmm. doing and I think that's one of the scariest things when you start is being like so I want to do this but does anyone actually like need me to (laughs) you know whereas I think being on up and seeing that people are advertising for things that you can do even if you don't then get them I think it pushes you to Mm -hmm. be like oh well obviously there's a space for me in this industry yeah Mm -hmm. it's interesting so for anyone who's thinking that they want to become a literary translator what advice would you give um oh gosh read a lot (laughs) Mm -hmm. like a lot um I think it helps so much in terms of understanding the niche of a genre in terms of understanding how to what makes good characterization in terms of understanding how to write dialogue as well because dialogue is famously the hardest thing to write to translate um, because it just it's so hard to make it seem natural 
And so Mm -hmm. that's another tip as well. If you are translating whatever and it's got speech involved in it, I would read it aloud yourself to see if it flows Mm -hmm. naturally. And obviously then if it's, for example, if I were translating something set in the States and I read it aloud, it's not supposed to sound like me because <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. British, it's supposed to sound like an American. So there's all there's so many things that you have to consider. But I think a lot of that you understand better from reading lots. So mm-hmm. I read a lot. I would also suggest if you're if you haven't translated a book before and that's something that you're really keen that you really want to go into, I would suggest practicing on chapters of books that you already know for example if there's a book that you love that you've read cover to cover and you know the storyline then sit down try and translate the first chapter of it and see how you feel read it back see if it flows naturally which is not always easy because not everybody has to hand like books in their in the origin language do they so Mm -hmm. um, I think you just have to really persevere as well. You know, I think you have to look on sites like Upwork and Fiverr and Freelance because for people who don't know where to look in terms of people who are looking for translators, that's also the first place they tend to go. Yeah, I guess I guess that would be my main piece of advice, but it's hard, isn't it? Because I think these things annoyingly do just happen sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, I get that it's hard. It's the initial starting out part that's hard isn't it because once you've started doing some translations and some work and you're like building up it kind of becomes easier and easier because you've got more experience you've got more of a portfolio and you've got more people who know who you are and what you do absolutely but um (laughs) another thing I would suggest actually that I did again when I was very first starting out is make a marketing kit of your services that's tailored to literary translation or like a yeah like a press kit sort of thing explaining what you do um maybe giving some examples of like a chapter that you've translated and things like this and send that out with your cv to publishing houses and editorial agencies in the origin language that you work with that's actually how I ended up working with a couple of the publishing houses that I still work with was just finding a sort of list you can find them online just a list of publishing houses in a certain area of Italy or France or Germany or wherever and sending those publishing houses an email being like hi um, I'm a literary translator these are my specialisms like here's some examples of previous work that I've done and even if you haven't done previous work some examples of like things I've translated if you ever need a translator for anything just to let you know that I'm here and quite often they'll respond and be like you know thanks so much we'll keep you on our books in mind and then you might never hear from them again but um it's worked for me a couple of times that then after a year or two they get back to you and they're like oh we have this pitch that we need you to to translate for us um so that's another good way of, of doing it it's just sending out emails and being really annoying <laughs> it's constantly emailing people being like hi me again <laughs> which feels I think it goes against the, the British nature anyway I think it goes against British people because you don't want to be rude or pester but that is how people remember you mm-hmm. and also LinkedIn yeah because they'll start recognizing your name oh yeah LinkedIn mm-hmm. LinkedIn is <laughs> sure I need to get much better at posting on LinkedIn <laughs> but yeah posting on LinkedIn is another good one 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I guess anything to put your put your name out there and remind people. Yeah, what that's you're doing is good. Even if you feel like you're being really annoying, I think it's one of those things that you have to. Self promotion is always uncomfortable. I think, especially for Brits, and I really struggled with it at first because it does just feel like you're constantly blowing your own trumpet. But I think the thing that I've realised over time is that the people who care don't have to follow you and the people that want to see you succeed will enjoy seeing the stuff that you're posting so I think that's yeah that's one thing at the beginning not just in terms of literary translation in general is to get over the fear of self-promotion because I think it feels really uncomfortable Mm -hmm. at first yeah if you found the same thing (laughs) yeah for sure I think I've, I've I've had to like find a way to kind of promote what I do without constantly promoting what I do if that makes sense like being being present and kind of doing like talking about other things but also kind of having little reminders of what I do without that being the whole point of the post or the whatever I don't know it's It's a hard balance to find I think but particularly on things like LinkedIn I think people do it really well because a lot Mm. of people are like oh here's a thought that I had today brackets during my work as a translator doing this <laughs> which works yeah. then people are like oh what did you think today and they just sort of take in the fact that you're working as a translator what you thought it um, yeah but yeah self-promotion which feels horrific but is, is what works at the end of the day <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah I mean when you look at like any other business they're marketing themselves they're like any other company is constantly talking about what they do what they sell so like (laughs) we're we're also running the business yeah no I know that's the thing I think that's another that's another good point actually I think you need to also think of yourself as a business and not just you and I don't mean forget that you are because when you're a freelancer I think putting yourself into the brand is so important because people go to freelancers looking for a person right so mm-hmm. I think there's a, also a fine line to be found between putting yourself into the brand and also removing yourself from it so that you have some semblance of like work-life separation because I think otherwise when you're a freelancer you you're either all in or you disappear mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know that I'm guilty yeah. I haven't posted anything on Instagram for about four months <laughs> just because <laughs> life gets in the way doesn't it but I think you need to remember as well that you need to treat your yourself in terms of work and promoting yourself online like you're a business and then be able to mm-hmm. put it away at the end of the day as well. Yeah. People appreciate that. Yeah, that's a good good bit of advice. <laughs> so do you have any final words that you want to say about literary translation or being a translator in general? I don't know. It's it's so rewarding, but it's really not easy. <laughs> like I probably once every, let's say once every two or three months, do like a furious upset job search because I'm stressed about something or it's a quiet period and I think I'm never going to work ever again. And then two days later, something big will come in and you won't have enough time to make dinner or sleep. Or I think for anyone that's like, aiming to be a freelancer I wouldn't trade it for the world especially at this point in my life I obviously can't say in the future that I would never go in-house but I for me the freedom 
It gives me to work with who I want, to work from where I want, to determine my own hours. All of that is worth the uncertainty and the stress for me. I think I have to remind myself of that sometimes as well. So yeah, it's not it's not easy, but it's also it does get better after you've got over that initial, let's say, like first year hump where you don't really know what you're doing <laughs> because no one really does. <laughs> no, no, that's true. I have no idea what I'm doing. My yeah, my overarching thoughts on being a freelance translator would be that it's worth it, but it's not easy. <laughs> Mm. amazing thank you so if anyone has any more questions for you or they want to get in touch or they want you to translate their book (laughs) um what's the where's the best place to find you so i am on instagram more often than not (laughs) much more than i should be um and my handle well my my brand is called lingua more or lingua more in italian bilingual (laughs) um and the handle is at linguamore underscore um, or at my website, which is linguamore.co.uk um, or they can email me at abby, A-B-I, at linguamore.co.uk. Okay, perfect. I'll put, that, I'll put that all in the show notes as well. So anyone who wants to do that can just click on it instead of typing it out. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for being on my podcast. It's thank amazing. Thank you so much for having um, me. <laughs> it's been really Really enjoyed really enjoyed learning all about um what you do (laughs) no thank you so much for having me honestly it's been so nice to chat to you and just just chat about being a freelancer in general (laughs) everyone gets it (laughs) thank you for listening to this episode of the meet the translator podcast i hope you found it as insightful as i did special thanks to abby for joining me today make sure to check out the show notes if you want to get in touch with her and if you have any comments or questions about the podcast send an email to meetthetranslator at gmail.com 